All right, we're going to do chapter 23. There's so much in 24. Um, 23 is somewhat simple and yet not somewhat uh, just historical and, and all, but there's something for us, I'm sure, and the Lord has for us. And then also, um, if time, I don't know, we might just do the first few verses of chapter 25 because it kind of winds up... Um, Abraham and Ishmael a little bit and then jumping into Isaac next week. But um, anyway, uh, let's just read through uh, chapter 23. Sarah lived 127 years, and these were the years of the life of Sarah. And so Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And then Abraham stood up from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I am a foreigner and a visitor among you. Give me property for a burial place among you that I might bury my dead out of my sight. And the sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, Well, hear us, my lord. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our burial places. None of us will withhold from you his burial place, that you may bury your dead. And then Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, the sons of Heth. And he spoke with them, saying, If it is your wish that I bury my dead out of my sight, hear me, and meet with Ephron, the son of Zohar, for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he has, which is at the end of his field, and let him give it to me at the full price as property for burial, a burial place among you. And now Ephraim, Ephron, I should say, dwelt among the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the presence of the sons of Heth, all who entered at the gate of the city, saying, No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field and the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of the sons of my people. I give it to you. Bury your dead. And Abraham bowed himself down before the people of the land, and he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you will give it, please hear me. I will give you money for the field. Take it from me. I will bury my dead there. And then Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, My lord, listen to me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between you and me? So bury your dead. And then Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out the silver for Ephron, which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, the currency of the merchants. And so the field of Ephron, which was in Machpelah, which was before Mamre, the field and the cave which is in it, all the trees that were in the field which were within, all the surrounding borders were deeded to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who went in at the gate of his city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, before Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And so the field and the cave that is in it were deeded to Abraham by the sons of Heth as property for a burial place. Going back, tonight we're kind of looking at the life of Sarah, kind of a... I don't know, epitaph or whatever you want to call it, but um, at the Tower of Babel, Lord scattered all those nations. The descendants of Shem, they settled out east. Uh, we looked at the maps towards um, where Kuwait is today and, and uh, uh, Iraq. 
Then Terah, a descendant of Shem, dwelt in the city of Ur, where Abraham and his brothers, Haran, Nahor, were born and raised, and we studied all this. Haran died, but he had a son. His son's name was Lot, and he had a daughter. His daughter's name was Milcah. Abraham, or then it was Abram, took a wife in Ur, whose name was Sarai, and Nahor took Milcah and began to have children. Uh, Nahor took Milcah and began to have children, but Sarah was still barren. Terah took Abraham, Sarah, and Lot out of Ur to the city of Haran. It seems like he named the city after Haran, the son that he lost back in Ur. This was Abraham and his wife Sarah's clan, Terah and Lot, Milcah and Nahor. And they traveled, uh, those that they traveled with up out of Ur. And if we remember looking at the map, Ur was way down over towards um, Kuwait, and we remember that we looked at Haran, and that was way up almost in the northern parts of Syria today. And uh, so they traveled up that way, going along that whole that whole fertile plain that was there. They went along past Babel. They went along past all these cities that Nimrod had built, up through Mesopotamia to Haran. In the next uh, chapter, this is the area also that Abraham sends his servant to find a wife for Isaac up in that Mesopotamia area, up in that land of Haran. And uh, because, you know, he wanted a wife for his son from his own people, not from the Canaanites around him. We'll study that next week, Lord willing. Um, Abraham lived in Haran until he was 75 years old. They had acquired people and possessions, and God had blessed them. Sarah was around 65 years old and still had no children. God calls Abraham out of Haran to show him the land that he will give his descendants. This begins the life of sojourning and pilgrimage in the land of Canaan. And then the famine came and Abraham goes to Egypt and he's fearful for his life because Sarah is now between 65 and 70 years old. She was beautiful and he thought the Egyptians would kill him for her. You remember the story. And so he asked her to say she is his sister. And notice Sarah does what he says to the point that she ends up in Pharaoh's house until God lets Pharaoh know. Happens again, we saw a few chapters later with Abimelech, where she does what Abraham asked her to do. And again, she ends up in another man's house waiting around to see, see the Lord straighten the whole bit out. And she does what, you know, he asked her to do without question. And he had sojourned in Canaan, and while he had rescued Lot, Melchizedek once again blessed him and confirmed his covenant with Abraham. And then in a vision, in a deep sleep, the glory of God with the appearance of smoke and a burning torch passed between the pieces of sacrifice that he had laid out as God commanded him. And God again establishes his covenant with Abraham and with his descendants. Sarah certainly knows of Abraham's visions from God, confirming what he had promised to him when they came out of Haran, the Lord did. But she was still childless and over 75 years old. So she gives Hagar to Abraham. Ishmael is born. This only brings trouble to her life, ends up in despised in Hagar's eyes. And so she makes her life miserable until they have to flee. And so Hagar and Ishmael flee and end up in the desert. The Lord brings them back, says, say, say, uh, stay under your um, mistress, Sarah, and serve her. And so they ended up coming back. Another 12 years, Abraham sojourns in Canaan, 
God visits Abraham on his way down to Sodom and Gomorrah, and where Abraham is camped, noticed by the oak trees of Mamre. We studied that. And again, it says Abraham and Sarah will have a son. Only this time he sets a date. He says one year later. And, um, you know, Sarah's in the tent and by the door and can hear what they're saying, and she laughs within herself, well, not loud. And the Lord said, what are you laughing? And she says, I did not laugh. And the Lord says, I heard you laugh. Yes, you did. And he says to Abraham, is anything too hard for the Lord? So Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. Lot is now having his grandchildren by, uh, called uh, Moab and Ammon. It's around the time that this happened that she ends up in Abimelech's house as Abraham's sister once again, around 90 years old. And again, Abraham feared because they thought she would take, or they would take her and kill him. But she was doing what Abraham asked. So a year later, indeed, uh, Isaac is born, as God said a year earlier. And Sarah says, God has made me laugh, and all who hear it will laugh with me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. She's 90 plus, and he's 100 plus. And with all joy... There was a celebration, and yet there was this trouble for Sarah. And here's Ishmael when Isaac is being circumcised, and Ishmael is mocking. And so once again, there's trouble from, from Hagar's son, Ishmael. And this time she kicks him out for good, sends him away. And the Lord tells Abraham, listen to her. And so for 37 years, she was with Isaac, got to see his life see the promise fulfilled, and be with her son. In the place that she laughed and lived and was blessed with her husband Abraham, they had in view from the oaks at Mamre this little hill. It's not far away. Hebron and the oaks of Mamre are um, not even a mile or two. And uh, you can see that field that Abraham bought for uh, a burial place. Abraham buys the only land that he would ever own in that land that the Lord promised his descendants in order to bury his dead. And we'll, we'll revisit this later on, even when, uh, when Abraham dies and is buried there as well. Um, for all of this, we learn about Sarah. Let's go to Hebrews 11. We've been there a couple times in the past few weeks, just verse 11. Just one verse this time, and maybe just pick it one part of it real good. Hebrews 11, verse 11. It says, By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed by faith. And she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. What did she do? She judged him faithful who had promised. Um, judged is the word there to consider, to deem, to account, and to think. That's what she thought of the Lord. Um, she was there when God called Abraham out of Haran. She was there and certainly heard of what had taken place um, when the Lord had confirmed his covenant with Abraham. And, you know, she knew that, that he was faithful. It says, knowing whom 
um, promised would be faithful. He is going to do this. Now, how did this play out in her life? We read about in First Peter. If you want to go a couple more pages to the right, to First Peter, chapter three, and this is verses one through six. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. And when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on a fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Verse 5, it says, in this manner. In what manner? Well, the conduct... The first thing you see is to win without a word. How do, how do you win? Well, it's not with words. The word chaste is purity. That's venerable, pure from carnality, sacred, modest. The same word as purity spoken of the bride of Christ. The word fear there is not fear with uh, you know, that terror or fear with that uh, um, for your life. It's a reverence. Uh, we've studied the word before. It just simply means reverence. And in verse 6, called him Lord, but without any terror and not afraid. Okay? Because she's doing good, because they're doing good. No matter what the husband does, they are doing good because it's as unto the Lord. Remember what it says about her? It says, you know, uh, calling him Lord, whose daughters, no, where does it say? Um, back in Hebrews, it said, knowing him who had made the prop- promise. It says, no matter what the husband does, they do it as unto the Lord. That's who she trusted, the Lord. She never saw herself as a victim. She trusted God. She's the only, uh, that's the only uh, way any of us really can can, uh, live with anybody in a relationship of any kind. You don't need to trust the person. You don't need to trust anyone. You need to trust the Lord with that person. Trust the Lord with everybody, with your circumstances. You know, um, we, he promised to do the work and work all things out for our good and to his glory. Like we saw last week, Abraham withheld nothing from God. We can withhold nothing from God when we trust him and when we give him control. We can do that. So I mean to say it, you know. Remember Abraham did so with a word, or I should say without a word, and now we read this was Sarah's manner as also, and she wins. I mean, she wins without a word, with, with chaste conduct and reverence, and which is precious. Notice, it's the precious thing in the eyes of God. Very great price is the word precious. Costly, excellent, surpassing value. You can't put a, a, a number on it. That's how precious it is to God, that inward quietness and that... Uh, just honor and, and uh, reverence for the Lord. In other words, all of the things you might think are precious and valuable and important. And, you know, it's the inward person. 
That's what is precious in God's sight. Verse 4 says this was Sarah's manner because she judged God faithful to keep his promise. Well, now, how are us husbands going to live with that? Likewise, it's right there in verse 7, likewise. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Likewise means equally or in the same way. If you set them side by side, they look the same. So in the same way that, uh, that they are uh, living in that same manner that they are, doing what they're to do, us guys got to do what the Lord's given us to do. He says dwell. Well, that's the first thing. You go past that too quick. Dwell, that means you're there. You're dwelling with them. You're not off every day, gone, and you come home, eat supper, and go to bed. You know, you're around the house. You stay, you, you spend time, dwell, reside together, be around. According to means down from, throughout, towards this, along with knowledge. All of that do with knowledge. And that word knowledge is general intelligence. And, you know, understanding with what is lawful, moral, godly, and right living. In other words, what is obvious to believing believers. What's obvious, obvious to believing men that you know what to do and how to treat your wives. He's talking about general knowledge. And so it's something that, you know, likewise men dwell there with according to knowledge. And it should be obvious, especially as you understand the nature of God, his graciousness, his mercy, his love. Um, that's the knowledge that we have, and it should be obvious to us how to live and dwell with our wives. It says, as unto the weaker vessel, and that specifically does refer to physical strength. And I think that's obvious, as we've found out in the Olympics lately, where if a guy feels like getting some kind of operation, he can go compete in the Olympics and, or in these competitions and take the medal, and our world is telling him, good for you. Not so. Um, I wished it wasn't so, but this is what the Lord says. In truth, it's refer, refers to physical strength that, that uh, you know, we give them honor. Now, the word honor means the appropriate outpouring that reverences the value. We talked about the gals and, and their characteristics and who they are and what they are to us and how important they are to us. We'll give honor. The appropriate outpouring that reverences the value. In other words, give what fits the one that is so precious in the sight of God. You know, don't lose sight of that. How did Sarah do it? Well, oh, one more thing. Uh, as far as the, the weaker vessel, that refers to physical strength. So they may not be equal to us in physical strength. But in this verse right here, where does it say they are equal? It says they're heirs together of the grace of life. And it says that your prayers not be hindered. So they are completely equal to us in heirs uh, in the grace of life. You know, I keep on saying us. There's no us in them. You know, when, you, when you're in the Lord, a marriage is, you're one. You're one flesh. And we studied that when we went through the first few chapters of Genesis. But how did Sarah do it? Because she counted faithful God who made that promise. Faithfulness, or the word faithful there, um, 
means trusty or trustable. You can count on it, depend on it, rely on it. You can put your life in his hands. All your issues today and each day until he comes, faithful. God's faithfulness, and we got a boatload of verses here to go through, and we're probably going to be done kind of early tonight. But I'd like you to see him anyways, because I don't want you to take my word for anything, because that would get you really messed up. But if you see this for yourselves as we go through the word, 1 Corinthians 1, God's faithfulness, verses 4 through 9, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift. Where am I? Okay. Uh, that you come short in no gift, each eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day our Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ. How is he faithful? His grace in Christ Jesus, that we're enriched by him. He's faithful to see to it, so that we don't come short of anything. He's faithful. He's faithful to confirm us and seal us to the end. He's faithful to keep us blameless at his coming. I'm, go, I'm glad for his faithfulness. Calls us into fellowship with his son. He's faithful. You, you, no matter what happens in our lives, you turn to him, you look to him, he will be faithful every single time to call you back to himself, to point you back to Jesus Christ, to point you to the cross, where again, you have to lay down whatever it is that's troubling you, whatever the burden is, whatever the mistake was, whatever the event is that's that's getting all over you, you put it at the foot of the cross. He is faithful to call us into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. so important to have a one-on-one with the Lord and just step that direction and he will meet you there and continue. Again, he's faithful to call you into fellowship. I love that verse. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. A couple chapters. Or one page, really. Uh, Oh, here we are. I put it in the wrong place, so now I've got to find it for real. First uh, Corinthians 10, verse 13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except as such common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, uh, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may able, be able to bear it. You know, um, to... to I'm left to myself, I've got no strength in temptation. But he's so faithful. I'm so grateful for that. In First Thessalonians 5, and you know, one of these things, if you ever do jot down these cross-references, the thing that what this does is it makes a list. And uh, we talked about doing an inductive Bible study and, and, uh, and all, but... Um, this is where some things just jump out and then all of a sudden you have this, this huge document, of a, if you will, of the faithfulness of God. And you can put these verses down and next to it you have exactly how he's going to be faithful to you. You know, he's faithful to provide you an escape from those temptations and allow you never to be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. 
chapter 5, verse 23, 24 of 1 of, uh, Thessalonians. Um, it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, he who calls you is faithful. Who also will do this? What a precious thing. You know, give you that peace. Sanctify you completely, it says. That, you know, your whole spirit, your soul, your body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord. And you know, when he appears, we will be like him. And we'll see him. And we will know all things, even as we are known um, to sanctify us and preserve us blameless. Second Timothy, a couple of pages to the right. Second Timothy 2, verses 11 through 13. It says, this is a faithful saying. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. But notice this, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Why? Because he can't deny himself. You know, we, we, we can count on this faithfulness of the Lord because he can't deny himself. It's his nature. How we know him is all that he's given us. And so it's, uh, I'd rather look to his faithfulness than my own because he can't deny himself. In Hebrews 2, a couple more pages, 17 through 18. Therefore, in all the things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be merciful and a faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself has suffered, being tempted. He is able to aid those who are tempted. It's in his mercy towards us that uh, because he became like us, he became you know, God in the flesh, God incarnate, God became flesh and dwelt among us. Now he's a faithful high priest. Why? Well, become, because he became and he was among us, yet without sin, but he now can be merciful. He can be a faithful high priest, and, uh, which is merciful and gracious towards us because he was here. He was one of us, tempted in every way. In verse uh, chapter 3, just the next couple pages, just verses 1 and 2, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. He's the faithful to the one who sent him. John 6, you know, we studied once in the past. It's important to Jesus that we know and that we believe in him who he sent. Uh, who the Father sent, and to believe in the Father. Um, you know, it was important to him that they believed on him because the Father sent him. And everything that he did was not according to his own will, but the will of the one who had sent him. And so he's faithful, and he's faithful to his Father to do all that he had given him to do. Um, more of his faithfulness in, in uh, First Peter... 419, 1 Peter 4.19, just, uh, Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good 
as to a faithful creator. Um, you know, in the things we suffer for in doing his will. But notice now he's called the faithful creator. All of creation, and we'll look at this a little bit more in Revelation. Um, but being our creator, he would be faithful, knowing each one of us. Um, like we've talked about in the past, every one of us, he gave our face, he gave our abilities, our 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 physical bodies and our our lives that he gave us and put us in the town that he put us he's our creator and he'll be faithful knowing the things that we suffer you know in first john a couple more pages and again we're making that list of all the ways that he's faithful to us first john one just verse nine um I'm going to go back to verse 5 maybe and read through. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, and we have fellowship with the one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And when we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth's not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, well, then you know, we make him a liar and his word's not in us. You know, um, I'm sure you guys are doing just fine, but I need to be reminded of this. It's, uh, uh, it's so good every day to know that um, he's faithful as we confess our sins. Trusty, trustable, you can count on it, you can depend on it, you can rely on it, you can put your life in his hands. He forgives and is faithful to do so. Not only that, he's faithful to cleanse us from the unrighteousness. In other words, you think you're in something that's got a stronghold in your life? Well, you know, you confess it, and he will be faithful to cleanse. doesn't mean that we're going to live a perfect life the rest of our lives, but what it does mean is that he's faithful, and if you give it to him, then he will cleanse you of it. Um, Revelation 1, verse 5. John, seven churches in Asia, grace to you and peace to him who is and who was and who is to come from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and, to the, uh, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. And that's really important these days. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Notice he's the faithful witness. In other words, everything that he saw. Remember he said to the disciples, I tell you everything. You know, I'm, I no longer call you servants. I call you my friend. In the same way that Abraham was God's friend. And um, he didn't withhold anything from us. He was a faithful witness. In uh, the chapter 3, just the next page over, verse 14... I think I might have that backwards. No, that's it. And writing to the, the lukewarm church of Laodicea. These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness. And again, the beginning of creation. Um, creator, you know, nothing in creation is outside his purview. And he's making that point to this church. Um, you know, the faithful the amen, the beginning and the end, um, the true witness. Without 
anything that goes on in this world he's, is, is within his purview. Anything that's happening to us, anything that's bothering us these days, climate change, pestilences, famines, uh, food shortages, pandemics, this is real in our lives these days and could be more and real, real soon. Um, microwave, everything in the cosmos, signals and, and radiation doing us harm. Evil men and behind the scenes and even the devil and his demons he's the creator but he's faithful he's faithful to uh over that creation and for those that are his and he will be a true witness and he was around at the beginning and from all eternity with the father and he's faithful night and skipping all the way to chapter 19 um in revelation you know sometimes you you list everything there is to say about it, and it sometimes gets a little bit, um, I don't know, maybe you, you wear it out a little bit or something in our ears, but the truth of it is, if you take and you look at all the ways in which he's faithful in our lives, um, and then these things are there, you know. You know, he is faithful in all creation. He is faithful in all the stuff that's going on, and he will be faithful to us. Now, in, in 19 verse 11... Heaven is opened up, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. When heaven is open and the world sees him, that's what's going to be on him, faithful and true. You know, you might think there's going to be uh, something that's shocking or something that's uh, uh, something they never saw before. Well, no, it's just going to be the reminder all along, they knew it in their heart of hearts. And all along, the world saw that and knew that from Romans 1. But now they see him. And what's the big sign? You know, I'm the king. No, he is. But the sign, what's the big writing across him? What's on his t-shirt, in other words? You know, faithful and true. You know, he's the faithful witness. Um, and then, in righteousness... And all the world will have to acknowledge it because he is faithful and true. He will judge. Now, God's word is also faithful. And just the next page in Revelation is 21, verse 5. It says, Then he who sat on the throne, behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Um, you know, by faith, Sarah, she traveled with her husband, Abraham. And, um, you know, did what he asked, even when it seemed unreasonable, even twice, even when she's 90 years old. Um, just did what he said without a word until God had to sort it out. She received strength by faith to conceive and bear Isaac because she judged him faithful who had promised. And by faith in Jesus Christ, we also receive what God has promised. Um, go to First John, uh, back a little ways. And this is the last verse tonight. First um, John 2:24 says, "Therefore let that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father." And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. 
Sarah was promised a son. She had faith, and by faith had the strength to conceive. What's the promise God gave to us? He gave us eternal life. And uh, it's his faithfulness. It's his to keep that promise and that promise, eternal life. How precious that is, how, you know, how valuable. There are no words. It obviously would, if anything, make us grateful at the very least and, and willing to, to just walk in the walk that he's got for us. Um, what's our part? Just to trust him. That's all he says. It's all Sarah did was believe and have faith. And she had a faith that trusts in him. And that is all I got tonight. Just an epitaph for Sarah. Um, the fact that uh, there they were all those years living in Mamre by the oak trees. And across the little valley is a little hill where this guy had a field, had a cave. And that's where we'll see in the next couple chapters, Abraham goes to rest with his wife in that same place. And um, so 137 years old. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your faithfulness to us. And um, Lord, our lives uh, you've given us, are, we need you to, to have your hand in our lives and to see your faithfulness in our lives. And as much as we can read about it, Father, we know that more than anything, we just need to believe and trust you and give it to you, not withhold anything from you. And Lord, that we'd be able to uh, continue to trust you and um, and so once again, I pray that you'd uh, let your word go forth and do what you've uh, desired that it accomplish in our hearts and minds. And in Jesus' name, amen.